welcome to the Real Time Roots podcast by Joy Believe. I'm Chris Diel, and at Joy Believe, we help you grow your own food and medicine so that you can create health and wellness for your family. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Sarah. Hello. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how you can GIY in a changing world. And we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important to grow your own food and your own medicine. And we're going to give you a couple of projects you can do to get started quickly. So Sarah, when I say GIY or grow your own, what do you think of? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe growing some lettuce plants or growing some microgreens or sprouts like we talked about in the last episode really means just growing at least a few things in your own kitchen, in a container, or in your own backyard. What do you think it means? I think the real essence behind grow it yourself is growing what you can in the space you have, because very few people can grow 100% of their own food. Homesteaders try their best, but even then they can't grow everything. So if each person grew what they can grow in the space they do have, then it increases food security. It takes some of the pressure off the supply chain and it's fun. It definitely is fun. I enjoy doing the sprouts during the winter because then I'm not buying a ton of salad greens at the grocery store. And since those only take up a few square inches on the counter, it's really easy to grow those. But what about for outdoor gardening? There's a lot of ways to grow food, really. Um, I think that it's important to think outside the garden box and think of other ways to grow because not everybody has a huge backyard and not everybody has acres and acres of land that they can devote to growing food. But there are ways to grow food and medicine even if you don't have a huge space. Let's talk, Sarah, about some of the ways that you're growing food. Now, I live on 140 acres. I have a lot of space to say where I'm going to grow, but I have some challenges because I'm in zone three and we're still having snow. So I have a really short growing season. But Sarah, you live in the city and you have a yard. So let's talk about some of the ways that you're finding space to grow food. Well, one of my challenges is that most of my yard is actually rock. It's been hardscaped, so there isn't actually a lot of garden bed space. My main garden space in the ground is actually only about 20 by 20. So I'm growing actually in a couple containers, as well as the 20 by 20 in-ground space. And I have a few smaller beds that are about 2 foot wide by anywhere from 5 to 8 foot long that have, one of them has raspberries in it. And the other one is going to be where I'm putting my tomatoes because it's surrounded by rocks and it'll keep it nice and warm for the summer. I like the use of the containers, though, for herbs because then I can keep them closer to the house. However, I have to protect them with a fence this year because I now have a puppy who loves emptying out my garden pots of dirt. (coughs) 
you have a real challenge where you are because it's quite hot and your yard is is southern exposure i think and so you've got a lot of heat and it dries out fast and with those rocks it dries out even faster yep there is a house wall a garage wall and a garden shed that all have white siding and it is definitely southern exposure so with the reflected heat last year it was going up to 110 in the backyard when the front of the house was only at about 102. But even with you having snow in zone three, we actually had snow here as well last week. There's not a lot of plants that will grow in 110. Most plants just quit growing at around 80. So yeah, that's a challenge. Where I live, um, I have lots of space to garden, but I'm getting older and I'm finding that it's quite a challenge to bend over in the garden bed and lift the heavy wheelbarrow. So I'm actually moving to more container growing. We've added four containers this year to grow into. And unlike you, I have very cold ground. We can get frost any day of the year. So I need to get things up out of the ground to grow successfully, especially things like tomatoes. And I can't even grow peppers. But every gardener has challenges. And I think that that's the main point we want to get across is that everybody has challenges, but everybody can grow something. And if you give up because of challenges, then you miss the joy of the harvest. I think that's a huge thing. So when we're talking about thinking outside the garden bed, there's lots of ways that we can grow. And we wanted to talk a little bit about that today. One of the ways is through hydroponics. You can grow hydroponically with no soil at all. In hydroponics, you're growing in water. There are various methods of hydroponics. The easiest is probably the Kratky system, which is simply growing plants in a jar of nutrient solution, which is water with the nutrients added. And I've been growing lettuce all winter long in the Kratky system, just in mason jars with a little bit of coconut core to hold the roots of the plants upright. I haven't bought lettuce in the store at all because we've been growing lettuce all winter long in these glass jars and I just have them under a grow light. Then that's been really fun to harvest. I'm, I'm getting like probably two harvests from every jar every week. And that's just one way to do it. Uh, Sarah, you have a arrow garden and so you're also growing hydroponically. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Sure. I managed to pick up a returned arrow garden from an outlet store for about two-thirds of its normal cost. And I was growing lettuce and a couple of herbs in it for a good portion of the winter. And I found that the lettuce in the uh, hydroponic situation would regrow within about three to four days to be able to harvest again. And with only two lettuce plants, I was getting enough for two, three sandwiches every couple of days. So it was working quite well because I have a very low use of fresh lettuce unless I'm actually making a full-on salad. And of course, having fresh basil in midwinter is absolutely awesome. What do you think of the square foot gardening method for raised beds, Chris? I'm actually going to try that a little more conscientiously this year. I actually picked up a, a special square foot gardening square that lets you grow, plant your seeds in the square foot. And it's quite amazing because you can plant like nine 
beets, for instance, or nine carrots in one square foot when you're doing the square foot gardening. So as long as you have enough fertility in the soil that you're using in your square foot, it can really increase the yields that you get. A lot depends on where you live. If you have a place that's very dry, square foot gardening might not be great for you. But where I am, I have lots of water. And so square foot gardening would work for me. It's also supposed to reduce your weeding, right? I don't know, because I haven't really done it before. I think it would be hard to mulch. And so I will have to see whether it does reduce weeding. It does reduce, though, the amount of space you have to prepare for a garden. Another thing we're doing is we're adding more containers, more raised containers. So I, I'm doing something called a green stock that's a vertical planter, um, and it'll hold 30 plants in a two-square-foot space. And I'm going to plant some strawberries uh, because we have grouse in our garden that tend to taste every single strawberry as it ripens. And so we don't get a lot of strawberry harvest. And so I'm going to put some strawberries in the top three tiers of that. And hopefully we'll get a nice strawberry harvest this year. Are you growing any containers, Sarah? I have my four herb containers that I'm going to try to protect from the puppy. And then I also have one uh, grow bag container that I'm hoping to be able to use. I'm not quite sure what I'll put in the grow bag this year, but it might end up being a watermelon. A watermelon in a grow bag. So that's not even a pot. What is a grow bag? It's a heavy-duty fabric bag. Usually it's made out of a felt-like material, and it's a little bit lighter, a little bit easier to handle than a pot. And you just put it in position and fill it up. It does not retain water very well. So I'm half tempted to get a kiddie pool to stick it in so that I can just fill the kiddie pool with water and let it draw up water. So that's kind of like hydroponics. Yeah, it will be a little bit like hydroponics. With your space, you also have put in quite a few native plants and berries, haven't you? Doing it more permaculture-ish? We're slowly expanding into more permaculture. So yes, we have lots of perennials, uh, perennial herbs especially because I use them for making medicine. And also for like herbal teas. And I've been putting in some flowers just for the bees to increase pollination and to give them something to eat. And then we're also doing some permanent berries like cherries and um, hascaps and, of course, raspberries and blueberries and those kinds of things. We have a lot growing anyway natively in our area. So I'm just kind of expanding more plants that are domesticated of those same kind of varieties because I know already since the wild version is growing, the uh, domestic version with the bigger fruit is also going to do well. How about you, Sarah? I know you're very interested in permaculture because you've taken some classes in permaculture. Are you able to add some permaculture to your yard? So far, I've been working on adding wine cap mushrooms to the decorative garden beds in the mulch. And I also divided my uh, 20 by 20 space with a narrow path because it's beside a black walnut tree. And I figured that putting mushrooms in the path in the middle of the bed would help clean the soil on either side so that I could grow plants that would be more sensitive to the black walnut in that area. Of course, there's also the option of doing edible landscaping, even if there isn't a lot of outdoor space. Permaculture stands for permanent culture. 
So it's the idea of putting in fruit trees or berry bushes, or in my case, adding edible fungi to the area. So that can also be done with edible landscaping. If you are working with an area that has or needs mulch, then you can always add something like wine cap into the mulch to grow naturally. Or of course, there's the option of switching out, say, a decorative apple tree for an edible apple tree. What do you think, Chris? Are there any easy switches you can think of to turn normal landscaping into edible landscaping? There are a lot of really decorative vegetables that you can grow. When I think about edible landscaping, that's what I think of. You can put things like rainbow Swiss chard right in your flower bed, and no one would know that it was actually an edible because it looks so much like a beautiful greenery. And you can do a lot too with things like beets and fancy tomatoes and those kinds of things, and they can fit right into your landscaping. If you are ready to start on your herbal journey to get to know herbs and make your own medicine, I've got the perfect next step for you. My membership, the DIY Herb of the Month Club, will help you get to know your herbal allies by studying one herb at a time. And we make a game of it. You will go on a 30-day journey with an assignment to do every day that will only take you 10 or 15 minutes. You'll go on a monthly quest to build your confidence so that you can learn to rely on your herbal allies. You'll invest just 5 to 15 minutes a day of hands-on guided exercises to gain knowledge of each month's herbal ally. You'll also learn how to grow, forage, or find each month's herb. You'll study the historical context of the medicinal and or culinary uses of each herb. You'll create a personal Materia Medica for long-term reference. You'll also study the modern scientific studies and evaluate their methodology and conclusions. And you'll engage your senses both logically and intuitively to get to know each herb really, really well so that you can use it confidently. So stir up some recipes with me and start using your new herbal allies for focused hands-on learning inside the DIY Herb of the Month Club. So I hope you'll decide to join me. The link is in the show notes. One of the things that I hear a lot from other people is, well, that's fine for you because you've got acreage or that's fine for you because you've got a yard, but I don't have any space to grow. And that's one of the places where hydroponics comes in because you can do it indoors or you can do it on a patio or a deck. Same with container planting. But another way that you can grow it yourself is by foraging. And foraging, you're actually taking what either grew naturally or grew in your parks and byways and hedgerows and learning how to forage and then identifying plants and taking those plants for your food, for your medicine. And we do a lot of that here, even though we have the yard space, we also do a lot of foraging. And I know that's something you love, Sarah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience foraging? Sure. Locally, there is actually a rail trail that used to be where they would pull off the trains and pick up stuff like dynamite or coal before the trains went on. And along that trail, there's actually several really nice wild apple trees growing. 
And I always enjoy going by there in the fall because I can duck over to the tree and see if the apples are ready to be picked. And sometimes I can get a couple dozen apples off of those trees. And then there's also the wild black elderberry in the same area. So that's a really good medicinal and edible plant that I enjoy finding. And then my absolute favorite summer foraging is, of course, the St. John's wort, which is a very valuable medicinal plant. And then, of course, in my own yard, I also keep my eyes out for the dandelions in the spring. Thankfully, I don't have any stinging nettle hanging around, but I can always go out and find that one if I do need it, because that is a very easy one to forage. It loves growing near horses. So what are you doing with the stinging nettle? Well, the young stinging nettle, when it's only a couple inches high, is really nice as a cooked green, similar in texture to like Swiss chard. It's nice with some butter and some lemon. And then I dry it for use in teas or nourishing infusions. It's high in minerals, so it's really good for bone health. I like personally combining it with red raspberry leaf that I will also forage from wild raspberries sometimes or harvest from my own plants in my yard. And it also goes really well in making a nourishing infusion with the red raspberry leaf, the nettle, and then dehydrated strawberry tops, because the strawberry tops add some sweetness and compensate for the green flavor of the stinging nettle and raspberry leaf. So you make your own herbal teas? So there are a lot of theories as to why we should grow it ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Are you seeing an increase in food prices in the grocery store? Yep. I bought one relatively small bag of groceries and spent almost 100 bucks on it. Wow. And it used to be that that size of a grocery shop would have only been around 50 to 60 before. So I'm definitely seeing the prices go up. I've also noticed with like the leafy greens, the lettuces and stuff, those have gone up a lot too. I think they've gone up by over a third now. Wow. And and with leafy greens like lettuce. Now some of it's because we're coming out of winter. So leafy greens like lettuce are always more expensive here in Canada at that time. But I think we're seeing it much higher than what we saw even just a few years ago. So food prices across the globe have skyrocketed. United Nations says up 20%. I think we're seeing more like 100%. Wouldn't you say that that's right? Yeah, it's getting pretty close to that. I know that uh, meat has gone up a ton. And if I'm going to be paying over 40 bucks or over 50 bucks for a basic tough roast, I may as well buy a higher quality one from one of the farmers. So your way of coping with it is to buy local. Well, in a small town with a lot of local beef farmers, it is a little bit easier to find the local farmers and buy directly from them. It can be more difficult to find local farmers if you're in a large center or a larger city. I think that one of the issues is that people think because they're in the city that there are no local farmers. But the reality is that the first farmlands were close to the cities so that they were close to their markets. So sometimes just driving an hour out of the city you'll find the farms where you can connect with locals. I noticed a lot of supply chain issues last year when I was trying to get canning jar lids. I ordered them from the hardware store here in May 
And they said they'd be in by July in time for canning to start in July with strawberry jam and pickles and those kinds of things. My lids finally showed up in December after canning season was completely over. And a lot of that was because of COVID. And a lot of that was just supply chain issues. And I think we're seeing supply chain issues all over. I I went to the hardware store and tried to get a bag of potting soil, which is something pretty standard that all hardware stores have at this time of year. And they actually had to special order it in because they didn't have what I wanted. So those kinds of things are showing up. Are you seeing some supply chain issues with the things you're looking for, Sarah? Yep, there's quite a few gaps in some of the stores that I frequent. Um, One of them only just got their potting soil in, but they've had the seeds and the pots and stuff gradually trickling in for the last two months. Uh, One of the stores, they only got some of their Christmas supplies after Valentine's Day. Wow. But it's just the issue with the trucks, the issue with the supply chain, and a lot of stores are bringing in only the smaller sizes of things like potting soil instead of the larger ones. So it sounds like with the supply chain issues, maybe we should just give up and not try. But I know that's not what you're saying. I think the issue is those are things we can't do anything about other than when it does come in to stock up and make sure that we have what we need. Like, for instance, canning jar lids are available now. So this is a great time if you're a canner to stock up on the lids while they're available, because who knows if they'll be available when we need them. But I think what we want to tell people is that there are things we can't change. And so the things we can't change, we need to just walk away from. But there are things that we can change. We're not victims in this situation. But it might involve changing the way we think about things. And that's really what we want to focus on. What do you think, Sarah? I agree with that. I'm planning on picking up a couple extra bags of potting soil to make sure that I have enough to run microgreens throughout the summer and into the winter without having to worry about the potting soil potentially not being available. Because right now the potting soil is in stock in the stores and it doesn't cost any extra to store a bag of it for a little bit longer. And of course there's always the uh, joy of harvesting a nice batch of microgreens. Those things are so pretty when they're sprouting and they're so tasty. And like you mentioned, Sarah, there's a great sense of accomplishment and satisfaction when you can grow your own food or you can grow your own medicine. And you're basically saying, I have control of this. I can uh, be the author of my own future. And I think that there's a huge health benefit there in your mental health, knowing that you have control, you can do something, you're not the victim. And I think maybe growing it yourself has more health benefits than just that feeling of control. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, Sarah, what health benefits are there to growing your own food? Well, getting out in the garden is known to help reduce stress. It's known to be relaxing. And of course, being out in the sun itself gives you access to vitamin D, which we often don't get if we're indoors all day at computers or in offices or in our jobs, if our jobs are indoors. And then what you grow yourself is going to be higher in nutrition than what you can get at the store because you can pick that tomato right when it's ripe, bring it inside, slice it, stick some butter on the bread and make a deliciously fresh tomato sandwich. 
and the tomato in the grocery store was probably picked a good week ago, if not longer, when it was still slightly green, and it's not going to have the same nutrition value as the one that you pick fresh from your own garden, or from the planter of tomatoes on your deck or in your window, or your hydroponic jar of tomatoes. Those are all going to have more nutrition and taste way better compared to what comes into the grocery store. What do you think, Chris? I think one health benefit that doesn't get mentioned very much is that there are microbes in the soil that actually release endorphins in your brain and make you happy. It's just as happy as as running for 20 miles. And everyone who doesn't know that experience of playing in the dirt like a kid that's what gardening is, right? Playing in the dirt like a kid. They miss out on those endorphins that come from the soil microbes, the good soil microbes. And that that is so fun to just have that experience. I find when I'm doing a lot of writing, I'm working on my second book right now. We just published a book about dehydrating and uh, I'm working on the next one. And after sitting at the computer for hours typing and writing chapters, I find that I just need to walk out to the garden and spend an hour in the garden digging in the dirt. And it it just revives me and gives me more energy to continue the work I need to do. So Chris, what else can we do to further growing it ourselves? Where should we start? I, I think that if people have never gardened before, one of the easiest ways to start is with onions. Let me tell you a story. Just last week, I went to the store and I bought some scallions, green onions. And my intention was actually to grow them. Um, but I bought them at the grocery store and I brought them home and I I put them in a jar of water just because when you buy them from the grocery store, they have no roots. The roots have been cut. And I put them in the jar of water intending to get some roots growing. And a family member opened the window. And like I mentioned, we're getting snow. And I woke up the next morning and the window had been open, blowing cold, snowy air on these onions. And they were just limp in the jar and uh, slimy even. And I thought, oh, boy what can we do? Um, I guess I just have to throw them out. They were too limp and gone to even use them for cooking. I thought I didn't want to give up. So I just trimmed them so that they were about four inches long, put fresh water in and move them into a warmer area. And I came back just 12 hours later and they had already started to grow and they had one inch roots in just a day. And uh, we have already had two harvests since Friday, like five days from those onions. And it really shows you that not to give up, not to give up because things want to grow. Plants want to grow. Seeds want to grow. And so we just have to give them the right conditions so they do grow. And so now I have a perpetual supply of green onions and they're literally just in a jar with about two inches of water just to give their roots something. It's kind of hydroponic growing, but I didn't use any nutrients, just plain water. I think that what I want to really express is I could have just thrown those out. They look like they were gone, but I didn't. I, 
I changed something and I gave them another chance. And there's a paradigm shift that happens when you grow it yourself. And when you take responsibility for providing some portion of the food that you eat, you become a producer, a grower instead of a consumer. And I think that that shift is really important. I think you have a story too, Sarah, about a situation where food was being wasted and you were able to give new life and in in doing that, giving hope to people. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. There's definitely a shift from relying 100% on buying what you need to actually being able to grow or reuse or repurpose some of the food that you eat. In the town I'm living in, there is a food reclamation that partners with one of our local grocery stores and uses one of our local church's commercial kitchens to be able to run. And they pick up the food waste from the grocery store every day of the week. And we have volunteers who come in every day of the week to sort through the stuff that about a year and a bit ago would have been going into the dumpster. And there has to be a shift in people's minds because... An onion that looks gray, moldy, slightly soft on one side that would normally be tossed in the trash is what we're getting. But if you take that onion and you cut it in half and you take off the outer three or four layers, the inner portion, which is probably a good two thirds of that onion still, is perfectly good. And we can take that perfectly good onion and chop it up and put it in the freezer or put it in the soup or dehydrate it. And it goes from being something that would be thrown out to being back to the quality that is required to feed a person. And so there's a lot of that happening with the food reclamation. We do it with oranges. We do it with lemons. We have bags of bok choy that come in that we sort through. And there is a huge amount of food waste that's being prevented because of the food reclamation that's going on. And then the food reclamation gives the food that is still high quality, either before it's processed, it gets sorted, and the food that's still high quality goes to the food bank, it goes to a soup kitchen, and it also goes to a daycare that has a limited budget. So we're able to provide for three different non-profits in the community to make sure that there is more fresh food available for the people who need it. And then we also provide food that's been turned into soup or dehydrated, So it doesn't need immediate processing. It can be stored safely. And we send that out to food banks in three other communities close to us. So there's a lot going on with the food reclamation. And if I remember correctly, just when I helped them out this past Tuesday, we were working through over 10 banana boxes of stuff that just two years ago would have gone in the trash. So that's great, Sarah, because I think I read that that they have reclaimed several tons of food already ton meaning 2000 pounds right Um, like haven't they gone through like two or three tons of food in a year that would have just been dumped at the dump and so it's good for the environment too it's feeding people and it also gives the store a social kind of a social credit in the community because they are the ones that are donating i know there's three grocery stores in your community sarah two of them are not doing that only one of the three is doing that. The rest are are basically dumpstering their food, right? Um, one of them is giving 90% of what they would be dumpstering in the fresh fruits and vegetables. If it still looks half decent, it's actually going to the food bank directly. 
and the other one is doing the packaged goods to the food bank directly or to us. And then anything the food bank can't use, we ask them to send back to us. But sometimes it does go out to pig farmers instead. And any food that isn't human quality that we have to process with the food reclamation is either going to pig farmers or to worm farmers who are in our community. Wow. So we're also making sure that even the stuff that needs to be composted is getting utilized and benefiting someone. That's great. It sounds like you're going through a kind of decision-making triangle or pyramid with four things that you can do with food waste. Number one, can it be eaten? Is it fit for human consumption? Number two, can it be preserved? That's what you're doing with uh, the food dryer and with making soup and putting things in the freezer. And then uh, number three, can it be composted or used for animals? There's one though that you didn't mention and that's, can it be grown? Well, that one has to be done at the personal level. It's a lot harder to do it when you're processing a lot of things. Right. But I have taken uh, seeds from pumpkins and from squash that have come in and brought them home. Have you planted them? I haven't planted them. I have them saved. I don't have the space for the squash this year, unfortunately. But the question with the food waste of can it be grown, there's things like avocado seeds, the center of a pineapple, particularly if you're in a warm climate. There's carrot tops. There's celery bottoms. There's green onions, like your story example. There's the base of a lettuce plant. All of those things have the possibility of being regrown and giving you additional food. Wow, that's amazing. So you listed a lot there really fast. Maybe we could focus on just a couple of them uh, briefly. I've already talked about how you can regrow scallions, but what about the lettuce? Will it root again? And what part of the lettuce would you plant? So with a head lettuce like romaine, what you do is you take the base and you stick that in a shallow dish of water. And you'll change out the water usually every day. And it will eventually both root and it will start sending out new leaves. And you won't get a full-size head of lettuce because it will try to send up a flower stalk if you let it grow too long. But you should be able to get probably another quarter to third size head of lettuce from it compared to the head of lettuce you were originally working with. And same for celery. It'll send up a lot of um, new leaves and those are awesome as flavoring in soups. You won't get the full crunchy celery stalks, but you will get a lot of nutritious leaves. So you mentioned carrots. I know that you can put the top of a carrot in the soil, same as what you're saying, and you can root it or put it in a uh, dish of water and root it, but you're not going to get another carrot from that. You're going to get green stalks. What would you do with those? Uh, carrots have a really nice flavor that I find is very similar to celery, so I would use them in uh, vegetable broth or in a vegetable soup for flavoring. And if you let it root and then plant it out, you can actually get some very decorative carrot flowers from those grocery store tops. And those are very attractive to your local bees, your local butterflies, particularly swallowtails would absolutely love carrot flowers. And then if you let it grow out, you're going to end up with carrot seeds. And when you plant those, you'll definitely get more carrot roots. Absolutely. I like the idea of seed saving from what you get from the grocery store. Now, some of those are going to be hybrids. 
the seed will not grow true, but you'll still get carrots. And I, I love the idea of reusing food that you've already paid for, food that you've already paid for and you brought home from the grocery store. Why not get a second crop from that, especially when all it takes is a shallow dish of water or a glass jar of water? If you're going to have an increase in the food costs, you benefit by getting more than one harvest from it. If growing some of your own food sounds like something you're ready to do right now, I've got the perfect next step for you. My Fill Your Salad Bowl workshop is a concise workshop that will show you how to grow enough greens to fill a salad bowl every day. That's a great first step just to fill a salad bowl. It's not overwhelming and anyone can do it. You can do it even if you don't have any land, even if there's three feet of snow covering your garden, even if you've killed houseplants in the past, and even if you don't think you have a green thumb. Here's what we cover in this workshop. Now remember, it's a concise workshop. It's not gonna take a long time to go through, so everyone's gonna have enough time to do this. You'll learn three different salad green growing methods that you can implement right away. You'll learn the exact methods I use to keep my salad bowl full so I never run out, even if I have unexpected company. You'll also learn where to cut costs and still be successful growing salad greens at home. You'll learn the ideal equipment to use if you want to grow greens faster and easier. The unique pitfalls to avoid with indoor and container growing. You'll learn how to save a crop that goes wrong. Where to find organic seed at reasonable prices how to store your seed so it stays viable for years so that you can save money now on bulk seed purchases. And you'll learn the health benefits of sprouts, microgreens, and healthy greens and how to optimize these benefits in the way you grow them and the way you store them. We'll also give you 17 ideas for using homegrown salad greens in the kitchen so they never get mundane. If you're ready to start growing some of your own food and you think salad greens are a great place to start like I do, check the link in the show notes. One of the recent things I brought home from the food reclamation, there were several avocados that seemed really, really squishy. And I only expected them to have maybe a third or a quarter that was still good. So I was planning on putting them into a big stock pot of chili. But to my great surprise, every single one of those avocados that I thought was too squished to go for what we call selling was actually perfect. They were not actually damaged or bruised. They hadn't gone brown in the middle. So even though they seemed soft and looked terrible, they were actually perfectly good. I was astonished. And it just goes to show that sometimes food that looks like it isn't that great might still be good if you take the time to cut it open. What other plants might you try to regrow, Chris? I like the idea of celery. I do use the celery leaves in soup and in like rice dishes. It's very flavorful and it also has a lot of antioxidants. Celery is a very healthy plant that's also low calorie. So I have often uh, rerouted the base of the celery, like you said, in a shallow dish of water. And then I've planted it out in the garden. When you get celery in the store, they actually cut off those flavorful leaves and they sell you the stock. But I like the leaves better. 
it goes in the garden. It'll grow all season and let you go out and just harvest what you want and it'll keep growing. I think because we're colder, I haven't ever had it go to seed. So um, that second year celery for me just grows until the end of the season and the frost get it. So celery is a great one. Of course, green onions are so easy. In fact, I have, I think right now, a dozen uh, green onions growing, which is plenty. And they will keep growing unless you don't change the water or they dry out. They'll keep growing for the whole season till I get tired of them. So those are great. Those two things. Basically, we've been talking about in this episode the need for a paradigm shift, the need to rethink your relationship with food and the grocery store. And because of the high prices, the inflation we're seeing and the supply chain issues, the need for each one of us to take responsibility for our own well-being and to do the things we can, even though we can't do everything, even though we can't grow all the food our family needs. That's, that's not a reason to not do anything. And I think that as we make that paradigm shift and as we start to think about the things that we can do and take those baby steps in growing our own food, we will experience the joy of being self-reliant and the joy of actually producing our own food. And it should bring joy. And uh, whether we have the yard space to do a full garden or whether all we can do is a couple of containers or maybe even like you and I have been doing over the winter, growing microgreens and lettuce under lights. There are things that each of us can do to um, so that we don't feel that discouragement going into the grocery store and, and going through the till. Um, yes, we will still need to go to the grocery store, but there are things we can do and enjoy we can have. Sarah? I've noticed that my daughter, she's under a year and a half still, loves watching the plants grow. So even just starting to grow a few plants from the lettuce base or the celery base, that can give joy to your kids too. I was also going to mention that a lot of our grocery stores carry fresh herbs. So if you're using those, you can always root a couple of stalks from the latest bunch of fresh herbs, either parsley or basil or rosemary even, and start a little herb plant because those will grow quite well. There's always some type of scrap that you could start today. So we hope that you experience the joy that we have shared today in growing your own food and looking at the food that you do consume from a new light. And we hope that you'll give that a try, growing food from the grocery store, from scraps, starting onions, or even maybe buying some green onions for the purpose of growing them at home. Here's what you can expect from the podcast. We're gonna be talking about growing your own food, growing your own medicine. Right now, Sarah and I are sharing the foundational principles that we live by. And then in the future, we're going to bring some special guests on to talk about it too, because we're not the only people doing this. There's a whole community of people that are growing their own food and knowing the joy that they experience from that. We want to leave you with one positive action that you can take. So Sarah, can you talk about specifically about what a person needs to start growing scallions at home? First thing you'll need is a bunch of scallions. 
Then you just need probably a wide mouth jar that's about pint size. Or maybe you have a smaller jar that's from sauce or something that you just have in your recycling bin. Grab the jar, make sure it's clean, and then you just need to stick the bunch of scallions into the jar and add about half an inch of water and then just maybe when you're making your coffee or tea in the morning remember to dump the water and refill with fresh water and then you can always trim them down to use some of the greens and then let them regrow and when they get long enough give them a haircut again thank you so much sarah and thank you listeners for listening to this podcast and we hope to see you back with the next episode